Um, we're just so privileged to be here this morning with you. And uh, <clears throat> Elaine and I uh, celebrated our uh, 40th wedding anniversary two weeks ago today. And we were the first couple to be married in Manual Church. Way back in the days of the carpet warehouse, which is now sadly gone. And I always say, whenever you hear me teach, you're hearing her, because no one has had a more profound influence in my life and my teaching than my wife. So, I love you. Thank you. And, you know, God has taken us, especially in the last several years, uh, we've had a kind of an explosion in our itinerary. We've been to places we never thought we'd be. We've been to some incredible churches and uh, it's been uh, quite amazing. Two weeks ago, we were uh, we did two Sundays in C3 Church in Toronto. I preached two Sundays in the book of Revelation. The pastor got up, and 25 people accepted Christ. Amazing, isn't it? Out of the book of Revelation. Um, but wherever we go, in... For us, both of us, spiritually, this is home. It's coming home. may sound strange. Uh, but God had such a profound impact on both of our lives uh, while we were here. And uh, But I always think that whatever drop I poured into the, into the uh, mixture, Alan, you've poured a bucket. And I'd like you to stand as a congregation and honor Alan and Sandra this morning. Alan, I love you. I honor you. Come on. time. I just want you to know. <laughs> uh, I do have uh, some books over in the other building in the foyer. Uh, please, for Pete's sake, buy them because I can't take them anywhere in a suitcase. Um, this one called No Diving uh, is about 10 things we get wrong about the Bible and how to fix them. And uh, one, of, one of the chapters is about money. One of the chapters is about prophecy, one is about healing, and there's ten altogether. It's been used by churches in various countries, and I, I've had really good um, feedback from that. This one, Cole Mystery Explained, is my verse-by-verse verse, uh, revelation made easy. And to me, the last book of the Bible is incredibly important because Genesis the first two chapters of the Bible end in the last two. And if you don't understand Revelation correctly, you won't get the rest of the Bible correct. So that's that. This book, Exodus, is about Christian freedom. And we've had so many misunderstandings of freedom. 
especially in the last several years in the body of Christ. But what does biblical freedom really mean? And I, my concern is that we're slipping back uh, in our society, in our culture, into a pre-Christian age of darkness. And uh, God has the answer for that. That's what this book is about. And this book, Nightlight, is the story of uh, eight people who went through real adversity. You know, in the body of Christ, you've got to prepare people for tough times. Uh, but the amazing thing is that God has the capacity to bring good out of the worst and to leave us better off than we were in the first place. And we needn't be afraid. Tim, Dr. Tim Keller, who just passed away yesterday, had some incredible comments in his last days of life about he just couldn't wait to see the Lord. It's almost hard to believe, but when you come to that point, you know, all of life is a preparation for entering into eternity. And so uh, this book called Nightlight is, anyway, and they're all at a discount to what you pay on Amazon, so please help me out. I don't make a pile of money, but it's part of my legacy of teaching into the body of Christ. Uh, and that's that. Um, I want to talk this morning uh, about the Spirit-filled Church because that's what we believe in. That's why we're here. That's why this church was planted. And I remember when we, after an absence of some years, we came back to Emmanuel about 17 years ago, I think. And uh, I came first, and then a few months later, Elaine came with me. And what struck us was the DNA hadn't changed. The people had changed, largely because most of them had been sent out to plant churches. I'd like to remind you, Elaine and I were the first people sent out of Emmanuel Church. And we have represented you and continue to represent you wherever we go in, in the nations of the world. And uh, Alan says, can I get a cut of the offering? <laughs> um, but... We were, so don't forget that we were the first people sent out of many, and there'll be many more. But the DNA was the same. That was a miracle, walking back in after all those years and finding out that though the faces had changed, the DNA was the same, and it still is the same this morning. And I thank God for that. One thing I say to churches where we're in various places, and I say, if your church was birthed, in a visitation of God, as this church was. But if your church was birthed and has genuine roots in God and in the moving of the Holy Spirit, if you ever move away from those roots, you're in big trouble. Big, big trouble. And the longer a history a church has, the more it's good to remind people of the history. Because to move away from the foundations Paul talked about laying foundations correctly and you have to build on those foundations if you don't the whole building will will topple so uh, this is why uh, I want to take us back again to some of the things that I think our church was founded upon uh, if I could still call it our church and we feel we're still apart even at a distance um, I think that if we want to be a spirit-filled church in an increasingly pagan culture, we need two things. The first thing is a thoroughly biblical understanding of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. 
And such an understanding has been sorely lacking in our wider church culture uh, in the Western world for, I think, a very, very long time. We never dispute the importance of understanding the character and nature of God the Father or the work of God the Son. Why is it we continually cut corners on our, on our understanding of the Holy Spirit? Because he is God. And he is the sole presence of God on earth. And without the Holy Spirit, we do, do not have God. <clears throat> so the first thing we need is a biblical understanding of the work of, of the Spirit. But, but knowing something in the Bible, the word know, going back to the Hebrew word know, which is yada, it goes far beyond the concept of the merely intellectual understanding. To know God means to encounter and to experience God. You can't know God truly without encountering him. And so the second thing we need is not just an understanding of the work of the Spirit and the person of the Spirit, but the ability to walk in a supernatural empowering of the Spirit. So we need those two things. We face, I'm sure I don't have to remind you, but particularly relevant to the students here this morning, we live uh, facing a tidal wave of pagan postmodern philosophy in our society. It it, it looks on the surface like it has its roots in current politics and social thinking, but it really it doesn't. The truth is different. Postmodern thinking and what we call critical or social justice theory is rooted firmly. It's one of the things I talk about in my Exodus book. It's rooted firmly through a long philosophical line to the ancient thinking of Greek mythology and fatalism. That's where it comes from, but people don't know it. And I don't have time to to address that, but I'll just say, if we give into it, if we give into it, we will lose the freedom Christ gave us by dying on the cross. It's not a matter of political views. It's a matter of the freedom of the gospel. So to understand what we're facing in our society today is important But to counteract it, of course we need teaching. If we didn't, I'd be out of a job. But we need the power of God. People, you know, are, I'm sure I don't have to tell you, people are so cynical, so divided, so suspicious in the society that we live in. We need supernatural power to back up what we're teaching as a worldview. But that's exactly what we have because Paul reminded us back in the Bible, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. But for that, we need the Holy Spirit. So number one, there's two two parts. Don't worry, there's not 20 or 30. There's just two. It's understanding the Holy Spirit. That was my, that was my first point. So let me lay a couple foundations for a biblical understanding of the Spirit. Now, What is really interesting is what Jewish theology at the time of Jesus believed about the Holy Spirit. The Jewish rabbis, they believed in the Holy Spirit, but they believed that due to the sin of Israel, the gift of the Spirit had been withdrawn from Israel following the death of the last Old Testament prophets 400 years earlier. And over that entire 400-year period, if you look through Jewish rabbinical writings, there are virtually no references to anyone 
encountering the Holy Spirit or receiving a communication from the Holy Spirit. But what they did believe was that the Holy Spirit would return to Israel when the Messiah came. And not only that, they believed that the authenticating sign of the Messiah would be that he would be empowered by the Spirit. And his appearance would signal the restoration of the presence of the Holy Spirit that had been withdrawn 400 years before. The Messiah would bring more than freedom from the Romans. He would bring the spiritual renewal of the nation. There would be a supernatural outpouring. I'm talking about the Jewish rabbis that believe this. He would bring a spiritual renewal through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That would include healing, miracles, and deliverance from demonic powers. That's what they were waiting for. You wonder when Jesus came why they didn't get it. The gift of prophecy that had been gone for 400 years would be restored. The Holy Spirit would rest upon the Messiah. All of God's people would be filled by the Spirit. And one more thing, they believed specifically that this coming of the Holy Spirit would be accompanied by a visible manifestation of fire and light. All that is documented. It's extraordinary to me that the Jewish people never responded to the gospel or didn't much respond to the gospel in Jesus' ministry. Not many were left at the cross. Not even after reports of the resurrection began to fill the city of Jerusalem. But it was on the day of Pentecost, which is on the church calendar, which I don't really observe, but the church calendar, I think, is next week. On the day of Pentecost, when they recognized the fulfillment of all those years of Old Testament prophecy and all the rabbinic teaching that they've been given, they witnessed the fulfillment of it occurring before their very eyes as the Spirit fell in fire and light accompanied by restoration of the prophetic gift. Exactly as they had been told. Then they realized Jesus was the Messiah. That's why thousands were converted on Pentecost whereas so few were left at the cross. So Jesus must be the Messiah, because after 400 years, the Holy Spirit was back. And the good news is, he's never left. And on Pentecost, they received the prophesied, promised baptism in the Holy Spirit. This immersing in the Spirit was a sign that from now on, God's people would be defined by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, if the Jews knew who the Holy Spirit was when he came, the modern church in our culture has not. In fact, so often we turned our back on the Spirit. We become powerless in the face of the unrelenting spiritual warfare waged against us by the powers of darkness who have no hesitation whatever in using supernatural power at their disposal. The gifts of the Spirit should be regularly exercised in every church which honors God's word. Our ability to fulfill the mandate of extending the kingdom will be greatly limited until we repent of our unbelief and are open our doors to the Holy Spirit and his gifts without apology and without reservation. And I'm so glad 
that I have one person who agrees with me, and he is an elder. <laughs> now, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but I'm continuing to sow into this church and the truth that it's lived by. Because times can change. Churches can become empty of the Spirit and die. And many of you as young people will go forth from here to other places and you need to find a church which is like this. In our Western culture, but I don't extend it to outside of our Western culture so much because there's different whole different dynamic there, so which we have an enormous amount to, to learn from. But the Holy Spirit has withdrawn in large measure where churches have even denied that God works supernaturally, even to heal the sick, saying that those miracles ceased in the days of the New Testament. That's a false teaching. It has no backing in the Bible. It's just a cover-up for our sinful rejection of the power of God and our spiritual barrenness, which instead of acknowledging and crying out for deliverance, we try to justify. But as people reach out to God and, and rediscover the fullness of the Spirit, he has been restoring those things. But still, it's sad to say it's possible to come to Christ and be born again without truly being filled with the Spirit in the way the early church experienced and God intended for every believer. And what is so important is that we need an encounter with the Holy Spirit if we are to enter into the world of the supernatural. And we live in a world of the supernatural. The enemy invades it. He occupies it. He has power at his disposal. Even if people don't believe in the devil. C.S. Lewis reminded us the devil's most effective when people don't believe in him. So where is the power? I mean, my life was changed by a supernatural encounter with the Holy Spirit when I was a young Christian. I didn't. I wasn't seeking it. I was actually running away. God was so incredibly gracious to me. I had a dynamic power encounter which left me glued to the floor not knowing what was happening to me. And it went on for hours. And what happened to me afterward was that I began to know things that were going to happen before they happened. And significant, something significant would happen every time this happened. And after a number of these occasions, I was like the boy Samuel in the Bible. Finally, I realized it was, speak, Lord, your servant heareth. This was God speaking to me, and I didn't know it. But finally, I realized it, and I began to hear the voice of God. And if I hadn't had that encounter, that day uh, in my room at University College where somebody came into me with a prophetic word, and said, I don't understand it. The only reason I gave credibility was because he was a young man who had been used in the prophetic quite accurately. But I didn't understand it either. And so I said, well, Lord, you have got to show me what this means. And all of a sudden, the whole vision unfolded before my eyes. I saw it all, and I heard a voice saying, stay in this city and start a church. That was this that we're sitting in today. But the point is, 
If I hadn't had that encounter with the Spirit, I wouldn't have been able to hear the voice of God. And there wouldn't be a church. And so we need to hear the voice of God. We need to have a power encounter with God. We were in the state of Michigan a few weeks ago, and there's a a little boy uh, coming out to five years old with a rare genetic syndrome, and his, his mom brought him up for Elaine to pray for. And he had been, and we knew the situation quite well, he had been to the top children's hospital in the state of Michigan, the DeVos Hospital in Grand Rapids, and the top consultants had said, with this genetic syndrome, uh, your son will never speak and he will never walk. But his parents are very simple people, but they had simple faith. And they were in a church, as Don's church, they were in a church that believed like this does in the power of the Holy Spirit. So she brought him forward. And... Uh, Elaine was, uh, I don't know where I was. (laughs) I was somewhere off on the other side or whatever, but Elaine prayed for him. And what she didn't know was that the mom, uh, God had given her a promise. And the promise was in spite of all that they'd walked through in the five years of his life and all the medical prognosis and all the rest of it, she had a promise from God because she heard God. And God had said to her, your son will walk by his fifth birthday. His fifth birthday was just several days away. That's why she brought him up. Although Elaine wasn't aware of that. We went off to some other place. And Elaine says, oh my goodness. And there's a video comes up. And here she is in church testifying that two or three days later, at his fifth birthday party, little Blake got up and began to walk. And, and has continued to do so. Because we serve a God with supernatural power. If we don't have that, where are we? So that's the first, the first part of what I want to say is we need to rediscover. And if we need to rediscover, if we haven't discovered, but we need to know and have a solid uh, theology, a solid understanding of the person and work of the Holy Spirit and how important he is for the church today. But it's not... Good enough, as I said, that we need to know more about the Spirit. We need also to walk in the power of the Spirit. And I believe that there are at least four things that happen when we receive the power of the Spirit. So you may be surprised by some of these because some of them you may not even have associated with the work of the Spirit because we tend to downgrade the work of the Spirit and ignore Him. But there are four things that happen. Number one, according to the Bible, the Holy Spirit brings the resurrection life of Jesus into our spirits and even into our mortal bodies. That's why we believe in healing. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Romans 8 and verse 9, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. That's good news. You have the resurrection life of God in your mortal body. 
The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, which is the greatest power you could ever conceive of, is at work in your body and in your life. The Holy Spirit brings resurrection life. That's what gives us power to live and fight back against sin. It's what gives us power to step out into physical healing. Spirit-filled people model resurrection life. And this causes others to see Jesus in us. Because people are looking for life. They're dying out there. They're depressed. They're in a mess. But they're looking for life. And when the Holy Spirit enters our enters our experience, then there is supernatural life. It's not just a concept, it's a life. It enables us to fight back against depression and anxiety, of which we're facing a plague in our society. I'm not saying that it's just push a button and all problems are solved. Please don't hear me, I'm not saying that. We're in a battle, folks. But we need power to fight back. But we have power. He's called the Holy Spirit. He is the power of God and he's at work in your life this morning. If you have invited him in. And if you're here this morning and you've never met Jesus, then please don't leave. Please don't leave without talking to somebody that you know here about coming to know Jesus. And you will never regret that decision. Number one, the resurrection life comes into our spirits and even our bodies. Number two, the Holy Spirit makes us God's children. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Romans 8 verse 15. Through the presence of the Holy Spirit, we are restored to a relationship with God as our father. Now, I don't have to tell you that we live in a day of unprecedented identity crisis. Nobody knows who they are. And most people are looking for answers in all the wrong places. Spirit-filled Christians know who they are. We are sons and daughters of the living God. That's your identity. Don't allow anyone to sell you short. You may have problems in your life. I'm slightly less than the average height. Only slightly. But I don't allow, I don't walk around identifying myself as someone who's small. I am a son of the biggest entity in the universe. That's Almighty God. You may have this or that or the next issue in your life, but never forget above everything else, you are a son, you are a daughter of Almighty God. And it's the Holy Spirit That does that for you. He makes us God's children. We can work out of our identity into fixing our problems. And don't let the enemy rob you of that sense of identity. You're not a depressed person. You're a son, a daughter of God who is fighting depression. You're not a person dominated by anxiety. You're a son or daughter of God who's fighting back against anxiety because God is giving you comfort. And so on. The Holy Spirit makes us God's children. Number three, the Holy Spirit gives us supernatural power and spiritual gifts. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. In Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The power of God includes a full range of the gifts of the Spirit. 
Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in every way you were enriched with him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. You may not have all of the gifts, but you should have some of them. There's nobody. Why would God choose to give somebody a whole bunch of spiritual gifts and you none? You're a son. You're a daughter. You ask God what it is. The supernatural manifestation gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, they are gifts of the Spirit. They're not, it's not something that you can concoct in your mind. We were in a church in Phoenix and that we were asked to pray over the staff. It was a, a large church and the staff were gathered there and they weren't all that used to the prophetic realm. So they just asked us to say a prayer. So I said my prayer, that was it. And then my wife got up. So I'm just going to send her to some of these places. Sit at home, put my feet up and take the honorarium check. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> um, and she starts praying about God, make this church a farmer's market. And I thought, that's weird. I'm thinking, I'm sitting there. I'm not really in the spirit. I'm just thinking, that's weird. (laughs) And she finished. And the senior pastor looks at me and he says, oh, David, he says, this is so inappropriate. But the associate pastor and I have been texting each other all through your wife's prayer. He said, God's given me a vision to turn this church into a farmer's market. Uh, not uh, actually he was going to open a coffee shop among other things but it was a concept of outreach into the community and bringing the community in to their church campus Uh, and so all of a sudden they're open to the prophetic gift it got in the back door when they weren't expecting it (laughs) see but that's because Elaine's open to hearing the voice of God because she's discovered. You know, like she could have sat there and said nothing. She could have sat there the way I I sat there, listened to her and thought, well, that's weird. I'm not going to say anything about that. If you have a gift of the spirit, if you have a prophetic word, you know, some people ask me, how do you step out on prophecy? And I say trial and error. It's true. Try it out on Alan. If you get it wrong, he's a big man. He won't be bothered. Um, But it's true. How are you supposed to step out if you sit there thinking and waiting until you've got it all right? You know, well, I feel to pray for someone. Well, go and pray for them. So what if they aren't healed? At least, you know, you've touched them. Elaine could have said, oh, I, I, uh, she could have run when she saw this little boy being brought up to her because of the nature of his situation. She knew what she was going to be asked to pray for, but she didn't. She made a decision to just step out in faith. Just Why don't you just step out in faith? If you fall flat in your face, someone will pick you up and try again the next time. We've had so many situations with that, but you learn it through trial and error. You hone the gift that you've got. Never sit there thinking, well, you know, two or three people come up um, here to prophesy. I mean, there's William. He's always, you know, accurate and anointed. And I'll never be like him. So I'm going to give up. No, that's stupid. Can I call you stupid for a minute? You know, just have a go. 
Have a goal. Step out in faith. Because God has scattered his gifts all over this congregation. You've got them. You're just not walking in them. Just step out and do it. The Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He endows us with supernatural power and spiritual gifts. And finally, and I should say these four things. I'll recap them again. The Holy Spirit brings resurrection. Life into our spirits and bodies. He makes us God's children. Gives us identity. Number three, he endows us with power and gifts. And number four, he gives us power to witness. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Power to witness is a direct evidence of receiving the Holy Spirit. The question is, what does being being a witness mean? Peter says, well, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Stephen is described at his death as a witness to Christ. Ananias prophesies over Paul. His life's calling is to be a witness. When Jesus told us we would be witnesses when we received the Holy Spirit, he wasn't just talking about handing out a tract to someone or giving our testimony. He was talking about how the Holy Spirit would give us power to live consistently for Christ and be faithful to him all the days of our life, no matter what the cost. That's what being a witness is. And you will be surprised as to the power of your witness. You'll be surprised. I remember uh, when I was an undergraduate, I, I lived in a, it was, it was wild parties going all the time. There were a bunch of pagans. And I, I was completely convinced that I had had no effect whatsoever as, as a Christian in my witness until one guy who was one of the most pagan of the pagans came up to me toward the end of our third year. He said, Dave, I just want to say to you, uh, I appreciate uh, what you stand for, and I want to have it myself. But I'm not willing to pay the price. And it was kind of a bittersweet moment. But the Holy Spirit is using your witness, the witness of your life in your place of employment, your neighborhood, in your school, in at university, wherever you go, the power of your witness is far greater than you think. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. So you see all these things. We need to place the Holy Spirit right up there with God the Father and God the Son, I know it's what we call anthropomorphic language. It's describing God in human terms, that God being on his throne and the Son at his side. But it expresses a truth that the Holy Spirit is God on earth. And if we don't have the Holy Spirit and understand who he is, then we ain't got nothing. And then if we understand who the Spirit is, we need to understand what the Spirit does. And all these things I've tried to unfold to you uh, fairly quickly this morning, just gives you a taste of who the Holy Spirit can be for you and what he wants to do in your life. This, the, the, if we are to rise to the challenges that we face in a world that is threatened increasingly by the powers of darkness, we need to be able to access the supernatural power of God. And I remember years ago, when I lived in Durham, being called to a lady 
whose house was filled with demons. Things were flying around. She was getting manifestations of a dead relative at the foot of her bed. Her family, including her husband, had fled the house in fear. And she wasn't a Christian, but a friend of mine sent her to me. And, you know, I explained to her what the Bible says. She'd been consulting mediums. And all this had been going on. And it had been getting worse, not better. And so... I took a step of faith, and I said, well, I'm going to pray. She, she just didn't know which way to turn. I'm going to pray. It was kind of like an Elijah moment. I'm going to pray. And if you go home, we weren't even in the house. If you go home, and the demons are all gone, you never have another manifestation like this again, then you'll know that I was telling the truth. If you go home and it stays the same, then you'll know the medium was telling the truth. So I prayed. And a day or two later, the word came back. Everything had gone. Her house was free. See, the power of the Spirit, we need that. And that was an obvious situation. But the power of the enemy is at work in the minds and thinking of many people that each of us know. And we need the power of the Spirit to counteract that. Without the Spirit, we don't have God among us. He is God on earth. The Holy Spirit is not just a line and a doctrinal statement that makes us Trinitarians instead of Binitarians. He's not just a figure of historical interest who worked in the early church and has now retired. The Holy Spirit is God. God willing, I'll retire in the day of my funeral. I'm pre-taping the message. I don't trust anyone else to give it. But I'm asking Alan, if he's still alive, to take up the offering. (laughs) Okay, i got to (laughs) close. This church was birthed over 40 years ago in a move of the Holy Spirit. Uh, There's no room for sentimentality. We're not being sentimental. It's just a fact. But yesterday's move doesn't guarantee today. God forbid that we should be, as Elaine and I have seen one or two places, a people who live in the dying embers of a past revival. No, that's not what we want. We don't have control over what the Holy Spirit wants to do among us once we've given him freedom to move. Nor can we assume the next wave or visitation or whatever of the Spirit will be like the last one. That's in God's hands. But the big question is, will we welcome the Holy Spirit into our midst or will we leave him standing at the door? The choice is ours. But know this, the future of this church depends on our faithfulness to the Holy Spirit who birthed it. The Bible closes with these words. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The water of life is here for you today. The spirit invites you to come and take it. Thanks be to God. Let's stand together. Let's go to the musicians back, please.